Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rams Recap. And today I'm delighted to be joined for the second time by Jeff Reinbold. Jeff is one of the most knowledgeable men in the game, and you can see him regularly on Sky Sports and as an analyst for the NFL. So firstly, happy new year, Jeff. And secondly, how are you keeping today? I'm good, man. I'm I'm really, really good. Haole makahiki ho, which is how we say Happy New Year back in Hawaiian. So uh, I don't know what it is in Gaelic, but uh, that's what it is in Hawaiian. Well, unfortunately, I can't actually respond in Gaelic because I'm not that. Was never that good at Irish. So um, best leave that one <laughs> to uh, the people who could speak it. So, but thank you very much for giving us a bit of a Hawaiian flavor to things. And I suppose to kick straight into it, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Like, Sport or not, it's been obviously a strange season, and especially for the NFL and like many sports this year, COVID-19, it it forced many changes to the game and scheduling and how the season would run out. And like, do you view it? Some people think it's it's worked out better. Some people think it worked out worse. I know obviously the fans not being there in like full capacity is a a bit of a negative, but how do you feel the the season has gone thus far, obviously with the complications COVID-19? has brought upon it first of all i think that uh, you know there are a lot of people in that league office that deserve a lot of credit you know from the commissioner on down that they were able to work i mean and really work it was not this is all uncharted territory richie for everybody and to you know to be able to put on a season and to be where we are right now in week 17 the last weekend of the season and just about to go into the playoffs when many people, really a lot of people thought back in the States that this is a pipe dream. There's no way you're going to be able to do this. You can't, you know, it's different. Say, for example, like the NBA who bubbled their players down at Disney World and, you know, they, they, I guess they took, I don't know what it was, playoff teams and maybe a couple more. And, And the NHL did the same thing up in Edmonton and Toronto in Canada. But you're talking about sports that have a roster of maximum 20 guys. You know, you're talking about, the NFL, when you, you factor in practice roster and the active roster and injured and all the guys that are around, the doctors, the trainers, the weight room staff, the coaching staff, the film staff, you know, all the administrative people, you're talking about a couple hundred people. So it's unrealistic to think you were going to take all those all those people into a bubble environment and be able to uh, survive and, and get it done. So what they did was came up with and this is the first time we've ever faced anything like this, Richie. I mean, this is so far out of the normal realm. And for them to be able to get to this point with the protocols that they put into place and all that they did, I don't know if you were aware, but um, the NFL tested over 44,000 COVID tests a week around the league. That's all the league office and all the teams and support staff. I mean, think about the enormity of that. And then all the protocols that had to be put in place, all the things that needed to be done, the changes in training camp. I mean, it has been an unbelievable task. And, you know, I really think that the league really should take a bow for what they've been able to do for the fans. Yeah, no, and I I agree with you. And one of the questions raised was how would the schedule be affected by us? And I'd say one of the most noticeable changes was the fact that, you just had one team from each conference getting a bye in the in the playoffs. And when that was first announced, was there any kind of questions raised as to oh, why are we changing it? Or do you think that's kind of worked out okay in the well, long I th- run? I think at the time when, you know, as as we had gone through the the we were at the point, you know, after the draft and 
you know, after what was the, supposed to be the combine and all of that situation, we, we recognized that it was going to be a different year and that there was no way of predicting how it was going to shake out and what was going to shake out of it. We're going to have a shortened season where we're going to have, you know, neutral site games where we're, the fans going to be. I mean, there are so many questions that I think at that point, after they had seen what had happened, you know, the Canadian Football League did not play at all because, you know, they weren't able to you know, come to terms with what the medical people were uh, advising in, in their country. And then, you know, the shortened NBA season, the shortened NHL season, baseball doing it their way. I think we all recognized real soon in August that we were in uncharted territory and everything was up for grabs and who knew really how it was going to shake out. But I think there's going to be, I don't know if you saw this, but J.C. Treader, who's the head of the Players Association, he's a center from uh, the Browns. Uh, mentioned that he really feels like we've learned an awful lot out of this and that some of the things that we held dear, for example, you know, off-season workouts, OTAs, mini camps, all that stuff, that the players certainly feel, and this is now the players, but the players feel like there's no reason for us to go back there again. Let's shorten the preseason. We showed that we can put a good product on the field with no preseason games. Um, you know, penalties in the league are down missed tackles in the league are down. All of the things that make for a sloppy game are down. So the argument that the coaches have always used in the past that we needed training camp, we needed those days, we needed those coaching sessions, we needed that off-season time. The players are saying, hey, here we are. Here's proof positive that we don't. And let's change what we're doing and incorporate some of the things that we've learned from this COVID environment. Yeah, that less is probably more in some cases. And as you alluded to there, the, the lack of a preseason would be, and I'm sure you could relate, a coach's nightmare <laughs> in some people's eyes. But they've probably learned a bit from, if, as you were saying there, and the players are probably the best and most valuable resource when it comes to feedback. So to hear that, obviously, from the, the player side is definitely something I'd say that will be taken forward, uh, COVID-19 or affected or not. And before we start looking at the here and now, this weekend's games, how the season has really gone, it would be a bit dismissive of me if I didn't talk about the elephant in the room, which was Tom Brady leaving the Patriots and a bit like Ronaldo leaving Real Madrid or if Messi ever left, left Barcelona that was in many people's eyes one of the biggest sports stories um, across the world and like reading it from an Irish point of view whether it was ESPN or Sky Sports or whoever you were reading it was lo- like everywhere you looked there was a different reason as to why he left whether his relationship with Belichick uh, turned sour was it to do with the 2014 draft and where they brought in a potential replacement for Brady like how did you think or what did you make of the whole transfer and how it was dealt with well I think that like most divorces you know there's it's never just one side it's never just one person got disillusioned and said I'm out of here I think I think really uh they had been together for almost 20 years Uh, that's an incredibly long time in this business there comes a point where the message gets stale. And I think for Tom, I thought, you know, my, my impressions are from guys that I know that know him extremely well, that it was not disillusioned with Belichick. It was not that he didn't want to be in New England anymore. He just really wanted the stimulation of a new start, of a fresh start, of a new environment, someplace where he could go 
and begin again. You know, and here's the thing. People don't recognize that the mental drain of playing that long, the mental drain of, you know, it's this, it's like Groundhog's Day. You know, it's like same, yeah. same workouts, same guys, same da, 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 da. Well, I think he, I think he really got juiced thinking about the possibility of going somewhere and creating a little bit of his own legacy. And I think the same was probably true on the other side. I think Belichick probably felt like, hey, you know, it's time to move on. You know, he's been notoriously good at moving older players right before they start to hit the, you know, the decline. You know, you look at you know, Ty Law, he did it with Willie McGinnis, he did it with those are oh, those are great football players. And he was he was, you know, he got them out of there when he felt like they had their career was going to start to descend because everybody that happens to everybody. Um, so, you know, I, I, to me, I think it was one of those days. Well, I'm sure it wasn't amicable, you know, in terms of they're both probably disappointed to a certain regard and certainly Patriot nation and a lot of fans were, but for them, I think it was probably a good thing. And in the long run, I think it's something that will make the Patriots stronger. And I think it will solidify Brady's legacy. And like, yeah, I think he has, like, I suppose it does remain to be seen whether Belichick made the right decision or not. That's more of a kind of a long term picture. Like they're not going to make judgments after a season. But like, how have you felt if you look at, say, the Buccaneers, they've had an up and down season, but still realistically are going to have a chance in the wild cards to potentially win a Super Bowl. I'm sure Brady will be confident um, he could. Well, then you look at the Patriots, they had their struggles so the Patriots now, and a lot of people would compare it to, say, Manchester United when they had Sir Alex Ferguson leave. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like now this is not so much a make-or-break moment for Belichick because he's achieved a huge amount in the game and no one will ever dispute that? But do you feel like this could potentially be the most challenging moment in his coaching career to try to turn this Patriots franchise around and get them back to the top? Well, I think it's certainly going to be one of them. But, you know, the, th- the other thing about this is, you know, who would have ever figured when Tom decided to leave that they were going to have eight players, the most in the National Football League, Richie, eight players opt out because of COVID-19. And you're talking about high-level players, Patrick Chung. Uh, you know, it's, you don't lose guys, you know, like that. You don't, you know, they're starting middle line, and on and on and on and on. And, on. and you yeah. know, there's always turnover. I get that every year. That's the nature of the business. But not guys that are your are under contract and you're counting on that all of a sudden now your your defense in particular takes a you know unbelievable hit and then you know the one the one probably uh, consistent performer on offense at the receiver position Julian Edelman goes down you know a quarter of the way into the season with a season engine season ending injury so it has been a season of adversity in new england from that adversity i really believe the seeds will be planted for the next you know i don't think we'll ever see a dynasty like that again but i think that the patriots will be back they've got a tremendous amount of cap space they've got to do a better job drafting i don't think there's any question about that because particularly when you look at their receiver drafts since you know since you know 2010 there it's not been good um but they do have some core players. They've got to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. And to me, this is going to be an opportunity for us to – we saw Bill Belichick 
the you know the the genius, right? The coaching genius. Now we're going to watch and see what Belichick, the team builder, is going to become, or what his legacy will be that way. Because if he can if he can pull this thing from the fire, from the ashes, and get them back to where they're uh, certainly, I don't know if they'll ever be nine Super whatever it is, nine Super Bowls he played in in that time. But I don't think anybody will do that. But if he can get them back to being a winning you know, playoff football team, then again, that's just another, you know, feather in his cap, another, you know, just another thing that we will say when his career is all said and done, he was the greatest that ever was. Yeah, no, I agree. And a question we had, and I suppose this relates to, you could relate it a bit to what we just talked about, just the importance of a quarterback with a franchise. And one of the questions that got sent in was just about the Colts and, this is obviously the opinion of the person asking the question, so feel free to disagree if you want, Jeff. So he was saying that the Colts need a, a young quarterback to grow with their young roster, and they were basically asking, in your opinion, would you think Sam Darnold would would he be a good fit to, you know, slot into the Colts and be maybe the quarterback to to lead their roster forward? Well, I agree with the first part of that you know, position or question or whatever you want to call it, it's take, I guess, because they do need a young quarterback. Obviously, you can tell that they don't feel Jacoby Brissett's the guy or we wouldn't have seen what they did in the offseason. Uh, now, you're talking about Philip Rivers, who is, you know, north of 40. And, you know, that, that's a that's, you know, you're bar- you're on borrowed time in the National Football League once you pass 30. When you get to 40, yeah. it's, a, you know, it's like uncharted land. So I, I just really think that, that, yes, they do need to get younger. They, de- they, knew de- they do need new blood at that position. Uh, the one that's so intriguing for everybody as we talk our way through this whole thing is Carson Wentz because Wentz and Frank Reich have a history together in Philadelphia. And that's – that's one of the reasons why Philip Rivers ended up in Indianapolis because he had a history with Frank Reich in San Diego. So um, that one would make sense to me. Sam Darnold will be a guy that will be uh, probably, uh, unless he plays real well on Sunday, he will probably be on the market um, and he will get an opportunity. When you're a first-round draft choice quarterback, you're going to get multiple opportunities to prove you can't. And I think that's evidenced by you know Josh Rosen and numbers of guys in the past. So uh, you know it's the same way Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is going to sur- surface somewhere, even as even as as much as he tried to torpedo his own reputation with his off-field stuff. Uh, you know his talent. When you're when you're when you're picked as a first rounder, then somebody feels like you have. You know, you say you say. Uh, let me kind of describe it this way, Richie. Your first round draft choice is a guy that you say should someday wear a gold jacket, which means go to the Hall of Fame. So if you if you take a guy based upon that projection, and he fails out like Haskins did in Washington, numerous other teams are going to give him opportunities to see if he can resurrect his career. No, oh, that's a good way of putting it. Another thing I've noticed and. This may be me talking a bit of Irish nonsense here, but it's just what I've observed from watching uh, the football this year is that, and especially yourself, having specialised in coaching special teams for a large portion of your coaching career. Like, is it just me or has there been like more blocks, more fumbles? Like you see so many blocked punts, so many blocked field goals. 
Like, do you feel like there's been a shift in focus in special teams this year to get that edge? Or, as I said, am I am I a bit off in that? I don't think you're off. I think you're just you're relaying what you see, and it's the same thing I see. I think there are two things that I think really have um, played into that. You know, when we put the old rule in that, you know, you're going to kick off from the 35 and they went out and got big leg kickers that could sink it in the end zone and, and you didn't bring it back and you'd say, okay, we'll give it, you will give you the ball at the 25. Well, that was kind of the strate- strategy that was used. But what people started to figure out, and New England was really the first one that did it, you know, in my opinion, that don't kick it in the end zone. Kick it to the one-yard line and make them return it because the, the statistics will tell you, the analytics will tell you that you're, they're going to return it about 20 yards. So you're going to gain five yards of field position just on that, plus the fact you're going to take an, it's an opportunity to get the ball on the ground. And teams today, because they spend less time on it and, you know, uh, probably don't emphasize penalty avoidance enough, every game you see penalties on punt returns and kickoff returns. And a penalty on a kickoff return is the worst penalty in football, in my opinion, because you get the ball out to the 30, let's say, and then you get a penalty, it goes back 15 yards, and now you're starting at your 15-yard line. So now you've lost 15 yards of field position on that penalty. Worse if the ball goes further. And think about it, if you only get it to the 20 and there's a 15-yard penalty, now you're starting at your five. And, and again, I'm not a smart guy, and I'm not an analytics guy, but I know this. If the other team's got to go 95 yards to score, they don't have a very good – you know, their, their odds aren't very good if they got to go – 50 yards to score their odds are pretty good and that's that's where i think the teams that really emphasize the kicking game have a huge advantage you look at some of the games and i think you know we're talking about the patriots and i really believe this i think this year may have been belichick's best job of coaching because he got stuff you know he's coached six wins i guess it is from a team that is really 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 talent deficient in a lot of areas. And I remember the one game that their punt return team won the game for him because the offense couldn't score. And, you know, uh, Olszewski, the the uh, punt return they have, returns one for a touchdown and one to like the 10-yard line and they kick a field goal. That's 10 points you get out of your special teams. But he understands the value of special teams. But let me tell you what happens in pro football. Everybody talks in training camp about it's a third of the game. We're going to emphasize it, yada, 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 yada. And then every week during the season, something's got to get trimmed because you're trying to get the players off their feet. You're trying to keep them fresh. You're trying to, you know, all that stuff, which is right. You have to do that, right, because you can't burn them up over that 17-week season. Hmm. But what is the first thing that goes? They're not going to give up offensive period or defensive period. It's going to be special teams period. And so when you start doing that, when you start taking away from your special teams time and your emphasis on special teams, it's reflected in your, you know, in your team. And I have this saying that I can watch somebody's uh, what we call field goal defend team. That's the team that tries to block field goals. I can watch them and all I have to do is watch them and I'll know an awful lot about your football team because that's where the effort of a football team and the attention to detail of a football team is reflected more in that one team to me than any other. Hmm. And do you think, whether it's from your own experience of what you've been told or seeing even with your eyes, do you think 
as the season goes on and as you said like offense defense they're not going to be neglected so it's going to end up potentially being special teams uh, having less time to be coached on do you think that leads to more inventive ways of coaching and more inventive plays or inventive ways to you know get those extra points or those extra <laughs> that extra safety along the season that could cru- uh, prove crucial i'm not laughing because of something you said i'm laughing because of the irony of what you said because i have said this richie for 30 years of doing this, uh, coaching special teams in pro football. I have never once, not one time, have ever I seen, uh, you know, the, during the course of the year at some point, the players get their football cards, you know, those little cards that they mm. give in gum packs and all that other stuff, right? Well, the players the players get like 100 of them, you know, gratis from the company that does it so they can pass them out and autograph them and all that stuff. I've seen 30 years of them, and I've never one time, not once ever, have I seen – somebody's that says I'm the left guard on the punt team or I'm the R5 on the kickoff team or whatever. They all say I play linebacker or running back or tight end or whatever. Guys don't think in general when they come into the league that I'm, my contribution is going to be on special teams. Now, there are some, like, for example, Slater in New England who's made a career of it, you know, um, you know, Steve Tasker, who's up for a Hall of Fame ballot this year, made a career of it in Buffalo. But those are rare guys. Most guys, it's an afterthought to them or it's a way to make the make the team. And then they hope they can get off of them as soon as they can. But if you play in an organization that understands it, and I, I work for Dick Vermeil, and let me tell you something. Every special teams meeting, everyone, not some of them, everyone, he sat in the meeting because he wanted the players to recognize him in there, and if, if the boss, the guy who's signing my paychecks is in there, then this must be important. And that's one of the reasons why wherever he was, Philadelphia, which he, a team he took to the Super Bowl, uh, the Rams, a team he won a Super Bowl with, or the Kansas City Chiefs, all three of his head coaching opportunities in the NFL, they were always outstanding in the kicking game. Yeah, no, that's an interesting way of putting it. And I'd say as a as a coach, it's rather frustrating at times when maybe a, a special team's meeting some guys on his phone or else thinking, geez, I wonder what we're going to be looking at on defense. Well, I'll tell you but, what, in our meetings, they're not on their phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, I tell you what, it's, it's another thing, it's another topic of that, right? Here's mm-hmm. the deal. When you're a special teams coach in pro football, you got to be part lion tamer, part – uh, stand-up comedian part. Uh, I mean, it, it, you got to you you got to keep it interesting. You've got to keep it fresh. You've got to keep it. The message has to. You know, you got to get different ways to get your message across. Like, for example, in our meeting, meetings, five minutes before the meeting starts, I'll play as loud as I can, as loud as they'll let me play it, some sort of music, right? And I'll have some sort of video thing, whether it's highlights or whatever, on the screen as the players start to file into the meeting. And the reason I do that is I want to get them out of the thought of, okay, you know, like you said, on my phone, checking my Twitter, all that other stuff that guys do today. I want them, I want them when they walk into the room that they understand they're in, it's an, you're in a different environment. And we do an awful lot of stuff to try and, you know, work to make them participants in the meeting not just sitting there you know putting in their time 
until they go to the next meeting. You know, we try and get them, you know, we get them up off their feet. We, you know, we make them contribute to the meeting. We put them on the spot. We'll have, you know, crazy stuff like all the, if I, if I ever, if I ever showed you some of the stuff we do, you'd go, man, these guys are nuts. But I'm telling you, it's been, it's one of the things that's worked for us over time because there are players on our team that don't play special teams that have to be in that meeting. And they will come up to me at some point during the year and go, man, Jeff, I wish our meetings, you know, on offense or defense were like that. I had so much fun in those special teams meetings, but you have to do that because you're, you're, it's not something that normally they're going to come in and have an appetite for. Yeah. Well said. Well, that's the never ending challenge of coaching uh, in general, really, I Mm -hmm. suppose. Mm -hmm. And, as we now approach, we've got the final weekend ahead of us. There's a few teams who, well, pretty much the Chiefs, that's about it, who can put their feet up and enjoy themselves. Then there's a few that have so-called nothing games, even though the likes of Bill Belichick and Co. would obviously disagree with that statement. <laughs> but like, there's obviously a few outcomes. If you're going with your head, you're probably saying the Chiefs and Packers will probably end up winning their respective conferences, but I'm sure Chicago will have something to say with that and obviously the other teams. But as you see this weekend approach and what awaits beyond that, like what sort of teams have stood out to you and like who, whether it's an individual, a coach, a a team, who have impressed you so far this year? Well, there's a ton, man. I mean, that's that's a – we could be here for – you know, two hours and did go through that. But just in general, I think that the Chiefs obviously are, in my mind, the most balanced, the most talented team in the National Football League. And it all starts from quarterback and emanates from there. You know, you got the, one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. You probably got one of the top two or three tight ends in the league. You got a wide receiving core as deep and as fast as any in the league, maybe faster than any. Uh, you got a you got an offensive line that works well together. Defensively, you're under you know you got a bunch of underrated guys. Chris Jones is an outstanding inside player. Uh, you know Tyron Matthews going to make plays all over the field for you. Um, their defense does not get a, get the credit that they deserve. The outstanding kicking game. Harrison Bucker is you know lights out as a field goal guy. Uh, I just think they have probably the most balanced team. The most you know depth. They have the most depth. Uh, they're they're the but that's not a guarantee they're going to win football or going to win the Super Bowl. But you, certainly you would say they would be the favorite. Green Bay really took a hit today. Uh, David Bakhtiari, their All Pro left tackle, hurt his knee in practice. Is going it's done for the season. So that really, really, really is a you know that's tough. He, now they had him. They lost him a couple games during the year and survived. But you know he is the heart and soul of that offensive line. The guys that keep you know number twelve on his feet, and uh, that's going to be a tough loss for them. Uh, I, I you know my prediction was a month and a half ago that that the, if there was anybody in the playoffs that had a chance to beat the Chiefs, it was going to be Green Bay if they were healthy because Green Bay is one team that can match Mahomes throw for throw. Uh, I think Buffalo has kind of came into that picture too, you know, with the Josh Allen's had an unbelievable year. Devontae Adams and, and, uh, and Diggs are probably the two best receivers in the league. They're almost like twins. And, uh, you know, Buffalo has depth at wide receiver with John Brown and Cole Beasley, and they got adequate tight ends and can run the ball with Singletary and Moss. I mean, and their defense is good defense. So, 
you know, I think they're a team that you have to look at. Baltimore is not a team I'd want to play because they're so physical. They run the ball so well. They got such a unique scheme that's hard to practice for in, in a week. I mean, how do you how do you have a scout team quarterback be Lamar Jackson? I mean, who, who you got that can do that? No, yeah, nobody, right? And you think about somebody who has a drop back quarterback that's got to got to be Lamar Jackson practice. I would not. I mean, seriously, if I was a head coach right now, I'd go out and find me. If I knew I was going to play him in the playoff, I'd go out and sign an option quarterback wherever I could find him as fast, fast a guy as I could. And I'd say, okay, your one job, you're going to be here as long as we're playing in the playoffs. And your one job is to be Lamar Jackson. And then when that's it. And don't think about dressing. Don't think about getting in a game. You've got to get us prepared for Lamar Jackson as best you can. Because think about it. Like, who's got anybody nearly like that if you're getting ready to play them nobody so they're hard to prepare for um you know the rams have really fallen off to me seattle's i think gotten better their defense is way way better since they got dunlap and jamal adams um you know you look at you look else around the league tennessee i don't know if they play enough defense can't rush the passer i think another year or two is going to happen before miami's a legitimate contender Pittsburgh, they worry me because they can't run the football. Um, their defense is very, very good, though. Indianapolis, again, after the second half performance against Pittsburgh, I just said Indianapolis, too, you, I mean, that was like two personalities. They're a split personality team in that game, and you can't be that and win playoff games. So, you know, you go through it, there's a, there's a lot of teams, I think, that, you know, would have to play extremely well to, to play and beat a Kansas City. Uh, but I think Green Bay um, probably because they can score. Every you know the here's the thing, Richie. People say, okay, the 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 uh, recipe to beat Kansas City is run the ball, keep the ball away from them, and keep Mahomes on the sidelines. And that's right. Yeah, that's that's good thought. But what happens when you get down fourteen or you get down seven? Are you going to do that? Are you going to have are you going to have the ability to just say we're down fourteen in the second half and we're just going to work on getting eight you know eight and ten and twelve play drives and kick a field goal? You can't play like that. You can't beat them. You got to score, and if you can't score, and I think the Raiders prove this, you got to get Sorensen in coverage, you got to get Matthew in coverage, and you got to hit some big throws. That's how you're going to beat them. And do you think, like, if you're sticking it on, say, Green Bay at the moment, like, they do seem to be a team, and I'm a, I'm a Green Bay fan, but I, I always feel that somewhat they always don't get the credit they maybe deserve because they never are like, say, the Patriots of all, where you're like, this Green Bay team are the best. They are the best coach. They have the most balance. There's always a deficiency with them that they sometimes have to, whether it's this year on defense, stopping the run, they have to be twice as impressive when they have the ball and Rodgers obviously needs to step up. But do you feel like as an organization, especially with their coach, um, Matt LaFleur, do you feel like they are not necessarily getting the credit they deserve? Like even last week against the Titans, a lot of people were expecting them to struggle, if not lose. They go and you know put a very impressive scoreline on and yet people are still saying, ah, but they probably won't be good enough to get it done when it matters. Well, you know, here's the thing with Green Bay. First of all, it's a small market team, right? And so they're never going to get, because they're in a small media area, they're never going to get the publicity that the New York teams or the L.A. teams get. That's just the way it is, right? Or Dallas. But 
they, when you talk to football people, you look at that roster and you say, you know, they're pretty doggone good. And, and you know, everybody talks about how bad their defense is and they, you know, they can't do this and they can't do that. And let me tell you something, their defense is built for their offense. And when I say, you know, we talk all the time about complementary football, which means each phase complements the other so that the three phases of the game, offense, defense, and kicking game work together to create wins. So if you've got Aaron Rodgers and you have the ability to score fast, right? Well, you're going to play a style of defense that gets the ball back to your offense and you can give up some big plays, right? Because they blitz a lot and they play all kind of nickel and dime. And, but they do that because they know AR can get scores for them fast. So that allows them to play a little looser and really work to try and create turnovers. And when they're playing their best, Green Bay, Aaron's doing his thing. The defense is getting the ball back for him quickly. Even if that means get, giving up a, a five-play drive and a field goal as opposed to a 12-play drive and a field goal. Because that – in that 12-play drive, that's six minutes that Aaron's standing on the sideline and can't score. But if you give up a field goal in five minutes, that's fine because he's going he's gonna to get a touchdown in three, right? And that's, that's how they're built as a complementary team. Their special teams just have to not screw it up for them. And that's one of the things that in the past, when McCarthy was there, that was one of the things I thought was a weakness of theirs was they didn't have outstanding special teams plays outstanding special teams play. If you would have ever put a great returner in Green Bay and, and really good special teams in Green Bay, they'd have really been nasty because they can score anytime they get the ball. And I suppose to follow on from that, like there are a lot of big games. And as you said, like whether it's injuries, whether I know even with the Dolphins being affected by COVID tests, like there's a few big games, like as I said, Miami Buffalo's big one, the Chicago Green Bay. As I said, there's big games all over the place. Do you feel that there's any teams in there that are ready to kind of crash the party and you know dash someone's dreams, or do you feel like it'll more or less go the way most experts and stuff are predicting this weekend in the in the key games? Uh, you know, I just think this weekend is going to be really, really interesting for a lot of reasons because there's 11 teams right now going into this last weekend that have something to play for, whether it's seeding or whether it's uh, getting into the playoffs or whatever it is. And it's going to create some of the most bizarre things that you could imagine. Can you think about when, um, let's say, you're a – you know, you're an NFC guy, right? So you got the Eagles, you got the Cowboys, you got the Giants, and you got Washington, right? Well, mm. the Cowboys, right, if they win early in the day, right, they got to watch what? They got to watch the Giants, I mean, excuse me, the Eagles and the Redskins, right? Yeah. So, well, think about it. If the Cowboys win, who are they rooting for? They're rooting for somebody that they hate which is probably gonna which is which is the eagles right can you imagine that what that's like for i mean they'll have to go to church three times on next sunday for rooting for the, <laughs> for the wrong team so that's kind of the how this thing is now you look at pittsburgh and cleveland that's those two school those two teams hate each other i mean they're 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 both 
iron belt, what we call rust belt teams. They're from, you know, cities, old steel cities in the United States and northern part of the United States. They're longtime rivals. They hate one another. And now Cleveland, you know, Cleveland has to beat them to uh, have a chance to get in the playoffs. I think there's I think it's incredible. We may have an 11 win team not make the playoffs this year. Think about that. An 11-win team not make the playoffs. So it's just a crazy, crazy, crazy time. And I think it's it's going to add a lot of storylines to the weekend. Yeah, that would be a roller coaster ride. I'm pretty sure of that based on the how the season's gone. And just lastly on the season itself, if you were to put, say, the final four teams and then the Super Bowl, like how do you feel or who do you see in those conference games and who do you see you know, ultimately winning and what two teams will obviously be fighting for it at the end of the season? Well, you know, again, it's so really, really difficult to say right now. Because it but, could change, yeah, obviously. Yeah, because everything, I mean, think about this. Like, do you see what's going on? Like COVID-19 is like all of a sudden – the Rams, who everybody thinks ha- have a really legitimate chance to get to the Super Bowl, okay? They go up, they, they play the Jets, and they stub their toe. Well, that can happen to anybody, right? But then the next thing, they go to Seattle. Their quarterback hits his hand on the helmet of a Seattle rusher. He busts his hand. He's out. Now they're going to turn to a guy who's never taken a snap in a National Football League game. Never, Right? And on top of it, their second-best defensive lineman, who is a, is a Pro Bowl player, David Brockers, test positive for COVID. And their number two receiver, C- Cooper Cup, test positive for COVID. That's, and Henderson, their running back, goes on injured reserve this week. That's all this week. That's all this week. And with the exception of Henderson and, and, uh, and the quarterback, None of it had to do with anything about football. It's just the, wor- the world we live in right now. So when you start doing all that and looking at it that way, you know, I know this is why Sean Payton has been since week two, been like Khrushchev banging his shoe on the table, trying to get somebody to hear him say, we need to bubble the teams for the playoffs because if these players are out in this environment, which they are going to be because they're young guys and, you know, they're going to mm. think about that. You you might look what happened to Cleveland a week ago just because four guys were in this were in a uh, whirlpool getting treatment together. And there was a possible positive test amongst one of them that all of them were done for the game. I mean. Does anybody want their their future decided by that? But that's the reality we're in, man. Yeah, no, it could, and hopefully, hopefully, when it gets to these crunch games, the last thing we want is a uh, uh, Mahomes sitting at home watching his team in the Super Bowl because he's got a close contact or whatever it is. So fingers crossed that obviously doesn't come into play. And just lastly, here, Jeff, with the quick fire round, I normally do a quick fire, but there's actually just a handful of quick questions that some fans. Yeah. Sent in. Sure. They're nothing too in depth, but if I didn't ask them, they'd be rather upset. So I better do it. <laughs> so don't blame me if they're rather foolish. But the first one is: Can the Seahawks win the Super Bowl? 
Yes, I think they can because the defense has shown that they can play. I thought it was really, really, really – you know, you look at the last month, they're the number one defense in the National Football League, right, if you're looking at trends. And, you know, Dunlap's given them a pass rusher. Jamal Adams has added fire to that defense, ability to blitz. Um, Russell Wilson always gives you a chance. you got DK Metcalf and you got Lockett. And, you know, and, and they're starting to run the ball a little bit. So they're becoming more like that Seahawks team that we saw go to two Super Bowls. And so, yeah, can they? Sure can. And next question is, you seem to be, uh, what is it, sorry, top buttons undone type of guy. What would it take for you to wear a tie? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We used to have to wear ties in the studio. And uh, then, I, you know, we got a new producer and he kind of loosened us up a little bit. And, uh, you know, I don't mind a tie. I'll, I'll put one on every once in a while, but, um, uh, yeah, it's probably, it's probably better for me that I don't have one on because, uh, I tend to get a little excited in the studio, especially when I'm about to tell a straighter. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, another one is, who is the better quarterback in your opinion, Rodgers or Mahomes? Well, you know, that's that's one of the things we've talked about all year long. And and to me, and again, this is in no way disrespectful to anybody or any, you know, what anybody's done or anything like that. But if you just asked me one drive to win a game, all things being equal, right? Same receivers, same offensive line, same defense, same situation, same weather conditions, same, 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 all of it. I would tell you Aaron Rodgers if you just add one drive. That, that's my personal opinion. And lastly, should the Steelers change their quarterback? Well, not this week because what they got is Mason, <laughs> well, what they got is Mason Rudolph, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll see my reasons why when we watch the game on Sunday. But – Here's the reality, and this is really a scary, scary deal. When you can't find let, – let's, let's look at Ben, for example, okay? When Ben Roethlisberger gets to be above 33, 35, right in there, you better start making plans for what's going to happen when he's done because once you get to that age – Getting done can happen real fast. I mean, it can be an injury. It can be a, you know, uh, kind of a dissipation of your skills. It can be, you know, anything. Your competitive fire doesn't burn as bright. You know, there's a lot of, re- I mean, that's, people don't realize how hard it is to compete at that level. Have the concentration, the discipline, the off-season discipline. You know, it's a drain. It's a drain. It's like a monster that eats you alive. Well, once a guy gets to be up in his 30s, you better start planning for tomorrow. And if you don't, then you can be in a really, really bad situation. And, you know, you look around the league and Denver is as good a place as you can, you know, use as an example because, you know, they win a Super Bowl with an over-the-hill Peyton Manning but really don't have anybody in the wings. And what has happened to that franchise since they were there? Carolina, this, the team they played in the Super Bowl, same story. All of a sudden, Cam starts the the injuries. You know, the Cam just start adding up, and bam, he he makes you know he goes down the the uh, mine shaft. And and where are they now? Well, they get Teddy, but Teddy's kind of a stopgap guy. So you know, if you're in Detroit, if Matthew Stafford leaves, who is your quarterback? 
it ain't any of the guys that are there if you're going to want to win. So the teams that have invested and spent time and are trying to groom a guy or get a guy ready to play, those are the teams. And again, everybody said the Packers were done when Favre left, right? But that wasn't the case because Aaron had had a couple years to learn and, and you know, get the game, right? So, you know, again, we're going into the weekend, this weekend, Richie, and we're going to watch John Walford try to get the Rams into the playoffs. He's never thrown a pass in anger in the NFL. Not one. That ain't good odds. (laughs) Yeah, so avoid them and your potty power accumulator if you can. (laughs) And just lastly, Jeff, what we do is we just finish with a quick fire round. So. If you're willing, none Let's of them go. are too incriminating. But um, yeah, I will yeah. ask for his honesty. And the first thing that comes to your head, mind or head. So first one is, have you tried Guinness? And if so, what are your thoughts? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I won't have another. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Who is your favorite NFL player of all time and why? Uh, he's a guy that nobody would understand or re- recognize. His name was Ray Oldham. He played uh, for the Colts, the Steelers, the Giants, and the Lions. And he was my idol when I was a kid. Uh, he wore number 25, and that's the only number I ever wore. I wouldn't play if I didn't get to wear number 25 because that was his number. Okay, interesting. And what is the toughest part of being an analyst for Sky Sports? Um, The toughest part is that the game is so beautiful and it's so intricate and there's so much about it that you want to give to the viewers, but you just don't have the time on live TV. And is there any examples? Like if you have maybe a, a yeah, thing yeah. to say on special teams, you've only got 20 seconds. Well, to- yeah. I mean, you, you know, like like uh, I'm going to break down two quarterbacks this weekend, right? And, and uh, you know, Kyler Murray and, and uh, Baker Mayfield. And – I got four minutes to break down, to break them down on, on film right now. That means I'll take four plays, two good, two bad, and show what they do well, what they what they haven't done well, or what how like in Mayfield's case, you know how he's grown over the course of this season. But the game is so it's so beautiful. There's 22 moving parts on every play, right? And I, the thing that I hope that if, the, if the, the only thing that I hope out of my broadcasting career is that fans will get a better appreciation for how beautiful this game is, how intricate it is, how complex it is, how, you know, how incredible the, the human chess match is that goes on. And what's the strangest thing you've ever seen on a football field? <laughs> playing, coaching, or watching? <laughs> well, one I can't tell you, but that's the one I can't tell you is the strangest one I've ever seen. And I remember when it happened on the field and I, I, turned, <laughs> I turned to the guy next to me and I said, did I just see that? And, and then he looked at me and he goes, yep, you just did. And someday over, uh, I don't drink Guinness, but if I ever get to Ireland, I'll go to the pub with you and I'll tell you the story and you'll howl with laughter because <laughs> it is truly, a, it was a truly an amazing moment. But uh, one of the ones that I can, I can tell you about, because it's, it's a little bit 
risque or off color or whatever, but I think it was funny. You know, players have all kinds of superstitions, right? Like some guys, you know, they have to put their uniform on a certain way. They got to eat the same food before they go to the game. They got to listen to this certain song or, you know, whatever, right? Because we're all wacky. And so um, when I was coaching one time, I was standing next to a big offensive tackle and the guard was standing on the other side of me. So I got this guy, Tom Backus, on the right-hand side. And and uh, I won't tell you the other guy's name, but he went <laughs> played with the Packers. Uh, was on my left-hand side. And we're standing there for the national anthem so that players have got their helmet over their, you know, in their right hand and their hand over their heart and all that yeah. stuff. And I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, Backus kind of elbows me during the middle of the national anthem. And, and at first I'm trying, you know, I'm not going to pay attention because this is the national anthem and, you know, the cameras, the sideline camera comes down. You don't want to get caught dicking around during the national anthem. Yeah, exactly. So, so he hits me again. And so I look up at him and he kind of motions down with his head, with his eyes to look at Garten to my left. And I look, I look over and Joe's got, tears running down his face and and then he goes then he he, he punches me again and I, I look back at back and he goes and he like mentions with his head like no no look down right he points with his <laughs> eyes down and i look down at garden's le- garden and he's filling his pants with his own piss <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, so i look back at back and, and i look like what and he goes Every game, coach, he does it every game, <laughs> and that was his pregame routine. He, he he gets so emotional and so worked up, and then the Jets would fly over for the start of the game and the national anthem, and he'd start to cry. <laughs> so if you think they're all you know squared away and mature guys, I tell you, I got I got some other stories I can tell you. Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> and geez, that would that would be with me now as I go to bed later on. I'd say. <laughs> um, I said he played for the Packers at one time. Now. Yeah, I know, I know. My best leave him unnamed and let the mystery and suspense build up. And the next one is actually my brother brought it up. He mentioned that you are a bigs, big Leeds United fan. Yes, so sir. My brother. Who actually lives in Florida? Well, um, your bro- see that. See, your brother was smart enough to get out of the rain to go to Florida, yeah. <laughs> and he's a U- he's a United fan. And he was just wondering, how did you come to support them? Was it a person, a moment? Someone just said, "No, listen, Jeff, you support Leeds." Or no, nope. what gravitated you towards it? I I, I landed in the UK the first time in 1994. And you know how anytime you travel, especially when you travel a long way and you're tired and you get to the hotel, like you throw your bags down and then, you know, turn on, it's like automatic. You turn on the television, right? And kind of fall down on the bed and you're kind of flicking around the channels. And all of a sudden a soccer game came on, right? And I don't know anything about soccer, especially at that time. Like I knew that if you got it in the net, it was good for you. And if they got it in your net, it was bad for you. I mean, that's about as much as I knew. <laughs> and these teams, these two teams are playing and it's really a spirited game and there's crowds, everybody's up and just, you know, it was my first introduction to European soccer. Right. And cause you know, when I went to college, the soccer team played and like two girlfriends came and you know, somebody's dog, that's the, how many people came to the game. But this was like the pack stadium and they're up and they're singing and waving the flags and the scarves and the whole deal. And this one team 
has these beautiful white uniforms on because I'm a big uniform guy, right? And so yeah. I'm watching this team, and I said, man, those are nice uniforms. And so the game's going back and forth. Then all of a sudden, a player from the other team falls down, and the guy, one of the guys from the team in the white comes over and, like, knees him in the back of the head. <laughs> and, and then the announcer goes, oh, that dirty leads. And I said, <laughs> that's my team. And so that's how I picked them, and they've been my team ever since. Oh, well, that's, that's a very, very good story. And obviously now you're reaping the rewards of your loyalty. It's been a long, I'll tell you what, it was a long time coming, buddy, because there were some years <laughs> I wondered if we were going to even be able to stay in the championship. Yeah, but now back with the big time. Yeah. And lastly, Jeff, so obviously 2020 was challenging in many ways, shapes and forms. But if you could sum up your year in three words, how would you sum it up? Oh, wow. Uh, I say I am grateful. Really, I am, because I am so lucky to be able to do what I do. And, um, you know, not not only coaching professional football, which is absolutely a privilege, and but to have an opportunity to do what I do at Sky and come over here and spend time over here. And, you know, even this year in, in the Tier 4 stuff and all of it, it's just so wonderful to be over here. And this is kind of my second home and, and – uh, you know, I, I, to watch how this game has grown from what it was like in 1994 when I came here to one time we went to, <laughs> we went, you'll appreciate this. We go to Dublin and a friend of mine is the head coach at, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the school, but it's where the Book of Kells is kept. Trinity? Trinity College. Yeah. yeah he's the head coach at Trinity. And, um, he asked, would you put a practice on for Irish kids? I said, shoot, yeah, I'll do that. So we had we picked a morning and we had like two hours and we invited every kid. We just let it be known that any kid in Ireland that wants to come and and uh, come to this practice, this open practice, you know, just bring your stuff and show up. And Christ, we had kids driving down from Belfast and over from all over the country. And we got like 60 kids there for that two hours. And I thought to myself, this is freaking amazing that these kids drive for more time, twice as much time when you count going back yeah. than they would ever be on the field with us. And they, and they did it. And that's when I really fell in love with this whole thing. And, and to now watch it be four games in <clears throat> four games in the UK, the fan base, that's what it is. Guys like you, Richie, that do such an amazing job with the podcast and keep people talking NFL all year round it's a absolute privilege to be a part of that. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And well said. So it goes without saying, Jeff, I want to thank you again for taking time out. And um, I know I'm sure you're probably thinking about how you're going to cram those two quarterbacks into that four minute segment, but <laughs> wish you all the best. I look forward to seeing it, but I want to thank you again. And it goes without saying, I hope you enjoy the rest of the football and season. And I hope 2021 obviously is a, a great year for yourself. Same, man. I appreciate it. And again, keep doing what you're doing because it's really good for the game and we're all trying to make this game better.